Well, hello and welcome to this week's photographic life from a very kind of wind-blown shed. So I apologise if we get some uh, gale force interruption to this particular episode. But I want to start off this week with something I was thinking about. A studio is just a room. Light doesn't only come from a bulb and photography isn't a starting point for Photoshop. Just some advice before you spend on an expensive workshop. I could add only listen to those who have done what they are teaching also. I'm seeing a lot of online workshops for photo book making being advertised. The fees vary and so does the experience of those offering these workshops. But where are these books going? Why are all these books being made? Who is buying them and where are they being sold? Does that matter? Is that important? Perhaps the Kickstarter process is a good way of gauging the interest in a project. Recent success in the backing of the Tish Murtha film and Mark Wilson's Holocaust Project book, I think, evidence that. There's no point producing a photo book, or in fact, any form of a publication, unless you have an audience for it. Otherwise, all you're doing is spending money filling up boxes that are going to fill up the garage or a spare room or even worse, where you live. And you're going to get a little bit depressed about the money you've spent and the lack of return. One of the biggest issues with photo books is distribution and selling. Sure, you can sell them straight from your website, but that's only going to work if you've already spent a lot of time and effort building up an audience through social media or in other ways, perhaps through exhibitions or talks or festivals. So what we're talking about is a big marketing exercise that is required if you're going to sell that photo book. You need to have that audience for your work before you have that audience for your product. And yet, I'm seeing so many uh, online workshops saying you've got to make this photo book. Come with us. We're going to tell you how to do that, how to turn that project into a physical artefact. I presume they're going to talk mainly about editing, maybe a little bit about design, a little bit about collaboration, and perhaps something about the idea of narrative. But increasingly, I'm seeing so many photo books that are completely ignoring the importance of storytelling. The problem is that if you do ignore all these elements, if you do end up with boxes of books sitting around your home or your apartment, actually what you've engaged in is a vanity project and a very expensive one at that. Talking of photo books, I don't think there's any better time to actually look at photo books. And perhaps you could ignore all of those workshops and just do the research, analysis and reflection yourself. Places like Photo Bookstore, a camera website run by Zach Waters and the Biblioscapes Project, all film books on a page-by-page turning basis. Some of them are to reflect on those books and very good commentary comes with them as well. That's certainly the case with Zach Waters' camera project. The Bibliescapes project also produces kind of audio records and interviews and discussions that complement those views of the books. 
And of course, photo bookstore, well, they're out there to sell you books. But nevertheless, all of their books are up there for you to look through. Now, of course, that doesn't have the sense of physicality that we all love about a physical artefact. But when we're talking about learning, when we're talking about looking at different types of approaches to storytelling, subject matter, graphic design and image pagination, and by that I mean the way in which the images are used, there's really been no better time to be able to do that without actually having to buy the books. There seems to be a theme developing to this episode around saving a few quid. And in these difficult times, that seems to make sense to me. Therefore, this week's suggestion to save you money is to ignore all photo competitions, paid for portfolio reviews and expensive workshops. And instead, watch Pretend It's a City on Netflix. What is Pretend It's a City? Well, it's a sit-down with filmmaker Martin Scorsese and humorist, writer, poet and uh, dyed-in-the-wool New Yorker Fran Leibovitz uh, weighing in on New York City tourists, money, subway, the arts and the not-so-simple act of walking in Times Square. Obviously, this was pre-Covid. But it's not really about any of that. It's about life addressed in a stripped-down, straightforward a manner with honest statements. I won't try and describe it as I would fail to do it justice. All I can do is recommend it. I'm starting to scare myself this week with the amount of uh, themes and synchronicities that seem to be falling into place. Anyway, here's another one. This week's photographer explaining to us what photography means to her is Melissa O'Shaughnessy, Born in 1960 in Minneapolis, Minnesota, Melissa studied at Georgetown University and the University of St. Thomas, graduating with a degree in journalism. She's now a photographer based in, guess where? Yeah, New York City. And her work has been featured in numerous international exhibitions and publications and included in the book Bystander, A History of Street Photography. She is a member of Up Photographers, a collective of 27 international street photographers. And her first monograph, Perfect Strangers, New York City Photographs, was published by Aperture in October 2020. I also think she's got an image in the new Women Street Photographers book published by Prestel. When I think about what photography means to me, my thoughts immediately turn to what photography has taught me. As a street photographer, my raw material is reality, and I rely on the chance moments and encounters that can add up to an interesting photograph. While I was editing my new book, perfect strangers, I came upon a wonderful quote from G.K. Chesterton, which not only helped lead me to the title of the book, but helped me think about why I'm so enthralled by the act of photographing on the street. Chesterton writes, How much larger your life would be if yourself could become smaller in it, if you could really look at other men and women with common curiosity and pleasure. You would begin to be interested in them, because they are not interested in you. You would break out of this tiny and tawdry theater in which your own little plot is always being played, and you would find yourself under a freer sky, 
in a street full of splendid strangers. This passage sums up one of the most important things I've learned from photography, that to do it well, you must pull your mind away from your own quotidian worries and concerns and turn your attention to the now, to the beauty of the people and of the light and of the world around you. In so doing, you learn to be truly present. Chesterton's freer sky is a wonderful metaphor for what really is a very zen-like state of mind. It is also a lesson and a reminder to look at our fellow men and women with both delight and respect. I am always striving to do this in my work. Another thing I've learned from photography is to try to cultivate the openness and awareness of a child. I often notice that it is children who spot me first. I've got a fair number of photographs where, amidst the bustle of a busy street, the adults are completely unaware of me, but the children are looking directly at my camera. I think this is because children are much better at being open to the wonders all around them. The world is much fresher and newer to them, and they have no real hierarchy in regards to what interests them. They typically have little or no shame when it comes to staring or pointing at whatever or whomever they find interesting. I constantly remind myself how important this childlike wonder is and how essential it is to nurture if you're going to make interesting photographs. I try not to stare or point, but nevertheless, somewhat politely, do so every time I click the shutter. Richard Avedon famously said that he hated cameras because they always get in the way. But the camera really is a remarkable tool, a magic box, if you will. Its superpower is its ability to record far more information in a fraction of a second than our eyes and our minds can possibly absorb. There are so many times that I've opened a photograph on my computer and found details in it that I didn't see when I took the picture that I never would have noticed if I hadn't snatched that 500th of a second from the flow of time with my camera. Every time this happens, I feel like I've been given a little cosmic gift. I do understand Avedon's frustration with the camera. It surely can get in the way. But its mechanical eye has taught me how deep the richness of the visual world truly runs. Thank you, Melissa, for what I thought was a fantastically positive and uplifting contribution this week. As always, that's the first time I've heard it, just as it's the first time you've heard it. And these were kind of my responses to it. Wonderful to hear reference there to G.K. Chesterton, as well as Richard Avedon. That importance of popular cultural knowledge from the past, always so relevant to the work of the present. It's something I talk a lot about with my students and it's really something I encourage, that idea of reading, making your pictures better, as we spoke about on a previous podcast. Also interesting to hear her talk there about living in the now and being in the present, something that Norman Macbeth uh, kind of reflected upon in his contribution last week when he spoke of slowing down his walk and his step as he was so in the moment that the photograph kind of takes over. 
Another reference that I thought was relevant was um, that idea of wonder and the importance of wonder. And that's certainly something that Daniel Meadows picked up upon in his contribution. That was one of his rules, was uh, to be aware of the importance of wonder. So a number of things there kind of referencing back. And I often talk about these uh, contributions to different people. And I always say how, in a way, the themes are there are dominant and are important. And I believe give the essence of what a true photographer is all about and what a true photographic practice is all about. Anyway, thank you very much, uh, Melissa, for your contribution this week. I really enjoyed it, and I hope you all did too. I always like to be as positive about things as possible. I, I like to describe my, myself, I suppose, as a, an optimistic realist. A, a big dose of realism, but a big dose of optimism as well. Therefore, I find it really difficult to be negative about initiatives, really trying to do something good. But I saw this week um, the Format Festival in the UK launched an online, I suppose you would describe it as a kind of immersive uh, photographic exhibition uh, called Room 19. Uh, I was alerted to it by somebody who kind of referenced it and thought it was rather similar to a number of kind of sci-fi, animated sci-fi movies. I clicked on it because I'm always interested, as you know, in new ways of responding to the idea of sharing work and bringing work to a wider audience. The moment I clicked on it, it crashed three times. Three times I went back to it to try and get it to remain stable. Finally, it did. But when it did the navigation became an absolute nightmare and the experience really wasn't conducive to enjoyment. The functionality was weak. The form, the design, the aesthetic seemed to be the most important thing. And it just, for me, failed. Now, I made the comment to somebody and initially a few people came back at me and said, well, you know, it's kind of, there's some good work in there. And I was like, yeah, there really is. The problem is I can't get to it. And then increasingly as more comments were made, it seemed to be that everybody was sharing my personal experience with it, that it was overcomplicated, as I say, poor navigation, and as an experience deeply lacking. I'm a great fan of films being made, of photographic exhibitions, perhaps around the hanging, perhaps the photographers being interviewed, providing extra context for their work, perhaps holding up prints, perhaps showing us the printing process, providing all of that kind of information that we really want to have when we go to a physical exhibition. This idea of creating the physical exhibition as a three-dimensional kind of move-around space is great in practice, and I have seen a couple that have worked well. But on the whole, we're just not there yet, and it seems a real shame to throw away opportunities of showing work when the functionality is not there. It reminds me very much of the dot-com boom back in 2000, which I, I was kind of part of. 
everybody had really good ideas. Lots of people knew what they wanted to do and what could be done. The problem was that broadband, the technology, software and hardware were not in place for those kind of dreams to become a reality. I'm starting to get that feeling about these kinds of uh, virtual photographic exhibitions. They may come to us in the future, but in the present, surely it's a much better idea to just focus on doing what we can do well. And as I say, the film kind of version of an exhibition, the film context would work well. We've spoken a lot about photo books uh, this week, so I'm just going to give you a quick reminder that uh, our book, What Does Photography Mean to You?, containing uh, 89 professional award-winning photographers from around the world uh, answering this question, edited highlights from previous podcasts, complete with photographs supplied by the photographers themselves, is on sale now bluecoatpress.co.uk is the place to go and that's just going to cost you £9.99 plus post and packing. I know that uh, I've now got my date for my vaccination. I hope you're getting close to that too and that the ones you love, the ones who are close to you, are also starting to get signed up for their vaccination. Things will be okay going forward, but you know what I always say. One of the most important things, even before COVID hit us, is always to take care. (music) 